As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standick, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. It is Friday morning. I'll be heading out to Ashburn in a little bit for the last day of practice before Sunday's NFC East matchup in Philadelphia against the 3-0 Eagles, arguably the best team in the NFC, if not all of football. And uh, we, we know, of course, Washington pulled off the upset last year, winning in Philadelphia. A tough challenge this time, though, of course, with that memory in the mind of the Eagles, plus Sam Howell making his first appearance in the city of brotherly love against the team that is really pushing. See what I did there? Really pushing this, what they're calling now brotherly shove play. Uh, discuss that in a moment here. Uh, we have a lot to discuss, though. We've got what's going on with the commanders. I'll, I'll give you some injury updates and some other n- notes uh, for this week. And the conversation, my pal Fran Duffy who is an Eagles insider, does the Eagles, sorry, the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. We've had Fran on in the past to talk about the NFL draft uh, as well. So we get his view about this game. How can the commanders pull off uh, the upset like they did last year in Philly? Uh, So we'll get to all that in a moment here on the Standard Room Only podcast, which of course, make sure you subscribe to on iTunes or anywhere you do your podcasting, just hit that subscribe or like button or whatever you got going on there. Um, also, fun week. I, I thought writing on The Athletic for me, uh, following the Buffalo game, three articles um, for me. One, a column about why Sam Howell needs to be the starter for the remainder of the year. I'll come back to that one in a second. Also about how, hey, the the... It's not just about Sam Howe maybe holding onto the ball or the offensive line struggling. You know, what's going on with the passing game? And I took a look at how the commanders are struggling early to create separation and what's that meaning for Sam Howe and the offense. Lastly, today had a story up. Emmanuel Forbes caught up with that story about the commander's first-round pick. Got the view from Ron Rivera and others about how his rookie year is going. But the, the crux of the story is, of course, Emmanuel Forbes sort of broke the mold when it came to 
quarterbacks at his height, six foot, six one, who weighed 166 pounds at the combine, how that was really outside the norm. But he's going up against another outlier this week in Devontae Smith. I talked to our NFL Draft insider, Dane Brugler, and others, including Emmanuel Forbes, about these two guys uh, who broke the mold with uh, weight and height measurements sticking, uh, going head-to-head this week in Philly. It's more about Forbes breaking the mold crazier than Smith, but Smith definitely was um, getting picked, what, 10th in the year he came out. Definitely... Uh, higher than a guy his size would have been picked uh, several years prior. By the way, some fun stuff. These two met in college when Forbes was a freshman at Mississippi State, and the year Devontae Smith went on to win the Heisman. Uh, it didn't go so well for Forbes and his team that day, but he's ready to see um, you know, how much he's grown since, obviously, he worked his way into becoming a first-round pick. Um. All right, so let's get to a couple of things here. First off, this sort of where we are with the injuries, and potentially something comes up over the next couple hours when uh, practice is over. But as it stands now, Logan Thomas looks like he should be available Sunday. He practiced in full on Thursday, seemed to be um, you know, in good spirits and, and, and working towards playing on Sunday. Uh, you know, If he's available, I'm assuming that means he will start, but we will see. If uh, that or they they use John Bates and Cole Turner more as they did last week. Uh, needless to say, having Logan Thomas would be a huge help uh, for Sam Howell, both as a as a big target and also a veteran presence. Um, so you know that should be a good thing for this offense that has struggled um, in the red zone. I was going to mention this stat in a moment, but I can just do it right now. Obviously, Thomas got hurt on a play in which he caught a touchdown pass in the end zone. The Commanders rank 28th in the NFL in points per red zone drive this year at 4.2. Um, that includes uh, a pair of scoreless trips inside the 20 last week against the Bills. Um, yeah, obviously, this has not been great. And this isn't just about receivers not creating separation. It, you know, all over the field, but also, you know, getting getting better opportunities, better looks for how in the red zone. Now, this is obviously we're focused on this Eric Bieniemy offense, but it's worth noting red zone uh, scoring has been in red zone production has been an issue since Rivera got here. The commanders rank 31st since 2020 Rivera's first season here. Yeah, only the Jets have worse red zone production than the than Washington since 2020. Uh, so yeah, so uh, whether that's the receivers creating separation or the play calling separation or Sam Howell not seeing things quick enough, whatever it is, um, they are having some issues in the red zone as well as uh, that's also uh, some some factor with the uh, sacks the Commanders are giving up so far. Um, by the way, speaking of Sam Howell, we've obviously talked a lot about various concerns or various issues we've seen over the last, you know, last week or, or so far this season with Hal. And by the way, he's been overall pretty good. This last week was just, you know, historically awful. And, you know, just have to see how he bounces back. My, you know, from my view, his demeanor has seemed pretty level in the locker room. And, and, you know, when he spoke with us, I thought he gave a really good answer 
this week about how, you know, we all know he's young. We all talk about that he's young. That was only his fourth career start. But, you know, he said, hey, the Eagles don't care that I'm young. The scoreboard doesn't care that I'm young. My teammates expect more from somebody at this position, and I'm in this position, meaning quarterback. So I've got to do better. I thought that was a pretty good answer for a 23-year-old uh, thrust into this situation. So um, that said, here's something else, though, to consider. The Eagles' defense, independent of everything else, is really good. The Eagles are tied for second in the NFL with eight takeaways this season. Um, and, you know, they've turned those into points. And we obviously last week, Buffalo returned an interception for a touchdown. Arizona scored um, their only touchdown in week one off a of how fumble. Uh, Philadelphia is third in the NFL with 26 points off turnovers while not allowing opponents to score a point off of turnovers. So, you know, it, we, we can always say you got to win the turnover battle. But here it's not just a matter of, you know, having fewer than the other team. It's also, in this case, has led to points for Washington's opposition, and Philly has been doing that on their own. Um, so that is going to be something to keep an eye on, obviously. Uh, again, well, uh, Fran and I talk a lot about these different matchups, including the trenches of both sides of the ball, I think are going to obviously be key for this game. Um, l lastly, just to go to, to some other Sam Howe topics, um, you know, I, as I said, I wrote this week about how Sam Howe should remain the starter this year, almost regardless. The almost part is you can't have another four-pick, nine-sack performance or, you know, you can't have something at the level uh, like that that, that is, um, you know, I, I mean, just, you know, terrible. Everybody knows it. Hopefully it's more of a one-off than anything else. And even if the, even if Hal has some ups and downs this year, as young quarterbacks do, he is essentially a rookie quarterback, even though it's his second year. Um, that's going to happen. Hopefully, it's just not to that degree. With that said, you know you can already start to hear the murmurings. Hey, should they consider a quarterback change? Um, you know what about Jacoby Brissett? All these kinds of things. In the story that I wrote, what I tried to explain was that Sam Howe. Why, the reason why they should go with Sam Howe for the remainder of the year is because that's, at this point, that is likely the best bet for this team. Not just for Ron Rivera in terms of having a, a successful season, but in terms of staying here longer term. And here's what I mean by, by, by that. First of all, they just committed months and months of preparation to go with Sam Howe. It doesn't matter the fifth round pick. It doesn't matter this this again this penchant for holding onto the ball. Um, and and last week obviously making some really bad decisions. If you've done this, you need to see this out, and it can't be a bit of a knee jerk reaction, which we see in every NFL city uh, from the fan base and others about hey you started you, know, you lost a couple in a row. What what about the other quarterback? And it's going to be easier here because Jacoby Brissett is going to be a steady Eddie out there for this team based on what we've seen from his career. You know, he was ninth in QBR last year, according to ESPN, for the Browns. Um, somebody was passing around clips the other day from, I forget what season it was, but it was when Brissett was with the Colts and how early on he was having so much success that, like, I think, like, Peter Schrager uh, on the NFL Network was discussing, 
Uh, Brissett, is he in the MVP conversation? Again, it was like early in the year. And so he would be give you that better option. And I think there's, you know, that's been the case all along. But what the issue there is the lack of upside. You know, if, if, you know, we can say, hey, maybe he is the next Geno Smith all we want. But nobody was saying that about Geno Smith till it happened because his, based on his history. And, you know, it's sort of the same thing with Brissett. Team, he, he's not getting a one-year, $8 million contract if other teams coveted him, right? Okay, all that said, he's a fine player. He's in that sort of Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, above Taylor Heineke, but that same sort of tier of guys who, hey, we know they can play. It just has not shown that it is likely to turn into any sustained success. Um, but it would be awfully tempting to use him. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Maybe, you know... Like you know, if you're if, you know if you're playing Buffalo again, it was sixteen nothing in the fourth quarter, and obviously Hal was really struggling. Couldn't you get? Could Brissett, you know, a stable guy, help you a little bit more to to you know get a little bit closer, you know, to cash in on some of those red zone opportunities early that they didn't they got zero points out of? Who knows? But I get the temptation, and that is why I suggested that if the Commanders are serious about sticking with Sam Howell, they'll have to do it today. Don't have to do it tomorrow, but by before the trading deadline comes up, they should look to trade Jacoby Brissett if an opportunity presents itself. And some, I think a lot of people understand it, but some people were apoplectic in a couple of cases and maybe at least concerned for my well-being and others. So let me just explain what I'm saying here, hopefully in a little more detail. This isn't just about the 2023 season, even though I know, for many of you, it nothing means more than the next game. Who cares about the rest of it? I remember the year in 2020 when the Commanders were angling for the second pick and late, and you know the goal from, all, from everybody's perspective outside was keep losing for the most part, right? You got to get the the highest pick possible. But I definitely knew people who said, I don't care what this does for the draft. We have got. I need to win the next game. I need them to win for my own sake and sanity. Now, certainly the players and staff feel like that. I would not expect them to say, boy, it might be better off if we have a year where we, we, we win three games and have a better chance at a, a top pick where obviously you can get, you know, that's where quarterbacks tend to live. The point, though, is if you've already committed to Sam Howell for these many months and believe that he gave you the best chance, and you didn't really give Jacoby Brissett a shot. He was here in case Sam Howell, you know, was was awful throughout the summer, which he wasn't. And then you can put Brissett, you know, say, hey, we have Brissett still. We, we'll give Howell more time to develop. But at this point, Howell has shown he could play in this league, certainly based on the first two weeks. And, you know, again, hopefully last week, even if is way more of an outlier in terms of disaster than, than, than other potentially just, you know, generic poor games he may have. But you need to see this through. And it's because if he if it works out, then you have yourself a quarterback possibly for several years, and at least for the next two years, on a very cheap contract. But if it doesn't work out, then the commanders finally may get out of the NFL's unwanted middle. The commanders have been stuck in the... You know, they haven't had a winning record since... Uh, the going what eight seven one in 2016, but uh, which in and of itself is not very 
exciting, but in the years, you know, including that year, here's what they've gone. Eight wins, seven, seven, three, seven, seven, eight. Other than the three and 13 year where Jay Gruden was fired, they've been in seven or eight wins. That is the worst possible place you can be. And in each case, I know we can say, oh, well, if they had to, if, you know, if this break had happened, if that break had happened, you know, ifs and buts and all that, it goes the other way as well. So they've got to get out of that middle spot unless Sam Howe shows that he is a, a, a real quarterback. I just think Jacoby Brissett, again, we're talking odds. I'm not saying it's impossible, but just based on the career and the odds, teams with Jacoby Brissett as a starter are 18 and 30 historically. So it doesn't seem logical that they would all of a sudden jump into the playoff contention mix. And by the way, I, I, this is where maybe it, uh, you know, I'll agree to disagree with people. Making the playoffs is a big deal, but you don't want them limping and you want them going in full-throated. Like, uh, you know, most of the time when they've reached the playoffs, it's like they had to win five of their last six games or something, and they're getting in, but you kind of know there's it's not a real push. It's not a real thing. So, um, you know, that, that, that's what I'm saying. It would be great to have some legit momentum, and that would come from Sam Howe. It would also come from a defense, by the way, which I think was a bit disappointing last week. I thought the first two games that defense showed, uh, you know, that they could be opposing, that they could be the unit in a given game that was the most dominant. Last week, that was certainly not the case. Granted, Josh Allen was a step up in competition, but regardless, that's the point. You're supposed to be a step up in competition for them as well, and that didn't materialize in the game. So it isn't just enough to say, hey, well, could Jacoby Brissett or Sam Howell you know, be good enough? You know, what about everybody else? You know, they've got to get the receivers more open, right? Uh, they, they Or just get them the ball more. Uh, the offensive line, I mean, look, I, I think it's a bit overstated to, to sort of put most of this on Sam Howell. I think there's a balance of, hey, just so you know, sacks are not always on the offensive linemen. They are of course, also on the quarterback. Some people just flat out say sacks are a quarterback stat, and I think there's something to that. Uh, that said, um, they got to you know they got to get better on the offensive line, and I don't know where that answer is. I, I you know I mean for all the talk of position flexibility, there's really not that many moves to make in the starting lineup. The position flexibility talk is mostly about injuries. It's not about hey, well, what if you have everybody available? Then what? And before you tell me, we'll just put in Cornelius Lucas for Andrew Wiley as an example. Uh, I mean, there's a reason why Cornelius Lucas, despite playing a couple years here, returned as a free agent on a relatively modest deal for a backup. Uh, a fine deal for a backup, but like, you know, he wasn't getting interest out there in the league as a starter, uh, you know, et cetera. So they really don't have other options to turn to. And that, that's why... It also connects to back to the enemy. You know, how does he figure out the best ways to marry his plans for what he wants to do as a new offensive, full-time offensive coordinator, full-time play caller, essentially. Not full-time offensive coordinator by title, but full-time play caller. How does he marry what he wants to do in this opportunity with what's available to them? You know, they didn't. they basically ran one screen pass last week. Not many rollouts for Hal, despite his mobility. Should they do that more? Seems reasonable. Should they run more? Seems reasonable, especially early. But they'll have to figure all that out. And my point is that it's not like this is some dynamic team across the board 
or plugging in a Jacoby Brissett could be enough. I don't see it. And to me, as it stands right now, I'm not saying they have to trade Jacoby Brissett today or tomorrow. I am saying that, and again, it's not even about Jacoby Brissett. It's not even really about Sam Howell. It's just to say if there's a temptation to go to the veteran backup who most likely puts you back into that middle, I would rather go for the extremes and see if Hal hits or Hal misses. And either way, Washington gets out of that unwanted middle and closer towards being a real contender, not just one who's going to potentially limp into the playoffs like we've seen in the past several years. Um, all right, let's, I'll get this Fran. By the way, one thing uh, I forgot to mention, that we, I, I did notion, mention the, the, the push play that the Eagles use where they were in the short yardage or at the goal line, and they have th- three defender, three offensive players behind Jalen Hurts, literally after the after the snap, pushing him forward. It's a ridiculous play, I think so, but the NFL has yet to say otherwise. So the Eagles keep doing it. Uh, Jack Del Rio was asked about this the other day, and you know Jack doesn't give us a, a ton always. A lot of straightforward stuff. Hey, we just have to do better, things like that. But when he was asked about this, he, he started off with what seemed like a generic answer, and then he, it evolved into, hey, I think it's a rugby play. It's not a football play. But until the NFL outlaws it, we have to deal with it. Um, I, uh, needless to say, I think that's going to be something to watch. You know, this is it, I don't understand why other teams are not using this on the regular. I mean, Sam Howell's not the biggest guy, but neither is Jalen Hurts. So, I don't know. Curious why other teams don't use it. But that's what Jack Del Rio had to say about it, because I'm mentioning it, because we know it's going to come up at some point in this game, um, one way or another. All right, let's get to it. Here is my conversation with Fran Duffy, uh, Eagles insider, looking ahead to a big game on Sunday. Let's do that now here on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right, Uh, they're, they're still going to play a game this weekend, even though last weekend maybe, you know, uh, had everybody thinking they could get a, you want to call the season? No, of course not. They got the Eagles this week going back to Philadelphia where they actually won a game last year. Joining us to break it down, a guy who knows the Eagles very, very well, Fran Duffy, Eagles Eye in the Sky podcast. I just get that right? You just told me the name and I don't <laughs> You did. The Eagle Eye in the Sky. Uh, you know what's funny is that even internally people still uh, sometimes will call it the Eagles Eye in the Sky. So uh, you are not alone in that. I uh, I have no short term memory. <laughs> you could tell me, you know. Fortunately, I already knew your name. Otherwise, I'd be like, wait, uh, who, where, what? Uh, yeah, uh, Fran, I appreciate uh, the, the 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 time. You know, with the, to hear on this end. You know, in general, it's been a pretty good last couple of months. Uh, new ownership, two and zero start. Sure, Al's going to go to Canton. All, all these kinds of things. Last year or last week, though, you know, pump the brakes on a lot of that stuff on the field with that debacle and now here comes the reigning nfc camps who are undefeated um how are we feeling i mean it's it, i guess it's like one thing to say well we're undefeated i mean they think must be going pretty well but you know it's not always as simple as saying that sometimes there's the standards are different um how does it how does it feel so far for the eagles do you think or as you're watching them um after three games well it's funny you use that word standard and that is something that's always been a a uh a Jalen Hurts axiom, right? It's like the standard is the standard, and he has leaned on that and said, like, yeah, and look, last year they reset those standards with the way that they played, uh, certainly on offense, right? I mean, they were leading the NFL, uh, if not top three, and most – 
every important category. Uh, and I think when you look at so far, it, it has not been up to snuff. It has not been up to that level in the passing game. Now, the run game has been explosive. The run game has been extremely efficient. Uh, DeAndre Swift has gone over 100 for the first time in his career in consecutive games. Uh, he ran for a career-high 175 in Week 2 against the Minnesota Vikings. Um, and the pass game, like, yeah, it hasn't been up to snuff from last year, but you're still seeing like explosive plays down the field. There was a 34 yarder to Alameda Zacchaeus last week for a touchdown. There was a 63 or 67 yarder the week before to Devontae Smith over the top against Minnesota. We're seeing those big plays up here down the field. And, you know, the, the other part of it as well, and it's been a storyline here in Philadelphia, is that uh, through the first three weeks, you had to deal with Bill Belichick, Brian Flores, and then last week, uh, Todd Bowles. Like, that's, a, that's a tough trio to go against in terms of challenges that they could present your quarterback and your passing game. Uh, and so, yeah, there, there are certain levels built into that. But I think at the end of the day, uh, this team is 3-0. Uh, they, and Nick Sirianni said, like, yes, while we are working through things in the pass game, it's good to know that you've got that dominant run game that you can lean on and lean on the line of scrimmage and say, like, okay, like, we're going to win these games as we continue to figure things out. Uh, you, you know, as well as I do, like you don't want to peak too early uh, in the NFL. It's a, it's a long season. Um, so right now the, this team is still building towards what their identity is, what their strengths are offensively in the past game. Uh, and we know they've got the talent to be as good as they want to be. You know, it's so fascinating watching how Howie Roseman has put this team together. Obviously, he's been super aggressive when he sees opportunity, opportunities. He's not been afraid to take them. For example, like Jalen Carter slipping to the ninth pick because of some off-the-field matters with Georgia, and so far looking like he's you know going to be you know the steal of the draft uh, and so on because he was projected as the top pick. But it's not just that; it's the philosophy of what positions to invest in. I remember last year or last at the draft. Uh, talking to our guy, uh, Zach Berman. Sure. He was here covering the Eagles for us, sadly. No more. Yeah. Um, and I was like, hey, man, I'm doing my mock drafts, and boy, it just feels like B. John Robinson, if he's there, he ultimately wasn't, but if B. John Robinson's there, that seems like a good fit, right? And he goes, dude, he ain't taking a running back. Not just because he's like devalues, the, he doesn't value the position like a lot of teams do, but like he is, it, it is pretty clear that where he likes to go, and he builds up the lines in particular. And that's something that's, I think, a problem for Washington. They have not done that on the offensive line. And like you're saying, the passing games may be off, but they can always lean on the line. I just think that's such an underrated – the line is just not sexy at all. But if you have a good line, it makes up everything else much easier even in the, when, when things are not clicking. Yeah, and there's like two ways to look at like the positional value thing, right? If you're if you want to just go based off of all like you know laser focused on like the film and the impact of the game between the lines, and you say, okay, like who are the guys that can impact the most high leverage moments in a game? And obviously that's going to be in the pass game. And so you're talking pass catchers, uh, passers, pass blockers, pass rushers, right? Pass defenders. Like those are the guys that are going to make the biggest impact for you. And so yeah, you're it would stand to reason that you want to invest your top resources. In in those positions, or even if you just want to like follow the money and just go like financially and you could pick any number, right. But like, let's you know, for sake of argument, just cause you know, I've got the notes in front of me. Like if you want to like pick 18 million a year, like who are the guys that like from an average annual value uh, from a contract standpoint, hit that 18 million a year mark. And if you look at say like, offensive guard or if you look at uh you know off-ball linebacker or running back there's going to be you know 
two names, you know, maybe three names. Like at running back, you don't even hit that. I did the, one of the highest numbers. Uh, it was McCaffrey's at 16, right? Like uh, you don't even hit 18. But, um, you know, at guard, there's two guys that hit that mark, right? It's, it's, it's Lindstrom and it's Nelson. And you just go like down the list of all of these positions. And then you go to receiver and it's like, Oh, there's 20 guys that have that have hit that mark right around about. Or you go to, to offensive tackle, there's 12. Uh, you go to defensive tackle, and there's you know 12, 11. Like there's two of them down there in Washington, right? So uh, you start going through uh, who are the the positions that are getting the most money, and then it's like, okay, well if I can get that player on a first round contract where I'm paying them, you know, essentially like nickel on the dollar, like that is good value. Like uh, you know that is the definition of value. And so um, there's lots of ways to look at that from a positional standpoint. But at the end of the day. This team looks at the line of scrimmage on both sides and say, like, that, that is absolutely something that's going to raise the floor of your football team. And everything else, that, that's going to dictate the ceiling. But, you know, as we, we were saying this this week on, on my podcast, on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, is, like, it is going to be repetitive this year for Eagles fans, like listeners of my show, because going into every game, it's going to be like, okay – the Eagles feel good about their ability to win on the offensive line and defensive line in this matchup because you, know, you look at other teams and you say, like, yeah, like they have, don't have the resources to handle uh, Hassan Reddick, Fletcher Cox, Jalen Carter, Jordan Davis, Josh Sweat, and that's the, the starters, right? Like, then you get into, like, Derek Barnett, another former first-round pick, Nolan Smith, another former first-round pick, Milton Williams, who on any other team would be a starter, and he's the fourth defensive tackle and looks awesome, and his win rates and efficiency numbers are all so, so good. He makes plays against the run in the past, and here he's, like, almost forgotten by a lot of people that aren't Eagles fans, and so um, I think when you look at this group, and Brandon Graham, like, uh, that's what I mean, like, uh, there's just all these names, uh, and they, they, they rotate, and they play in and out, and then you go to the offensive line it's the same deal it's just a dominant group on both sides and they are going to it's like starting every single inning with a runner on third base if you're a baseball team like it just it just immediately raises the floor and every other team like you're playing catch up off the bat like oh, I don't know if we're gonna be able to block these guys or I don't know if we're gonna be able to get past these guys and that's a good place to start if you're the Eagles yeah no doubt. I mean obviously Washington has a lot of talent on the defensive front the lot the offensive line a little bit shakier but from your perspective as we just discussed the Eagles are stacked on both lines which of the line matchups do you think is going to be more pertinent this week the Eagles offensive line against Washington's defense or the the other way Washington's offensive line against Philly's I think the one that will most determine the outcome of the game is the Eagles' defensive front versus the uh, Washington offensive front. And obviously that might be low-hanging fruit based on what we saw a week ago, uh, the nine-sack performance by the Buffalo Bills and like all-time pressure rates and all the numbers that have been talked about the last few days. And uh, I think that's pertinent. But even like honestly – if we had, if we were having this conversation last Saturday, I would have felt the same. When it was in like, all right, like you know, after watching, uh, you know, Washington over the first two weeks, I would look at that and say like, yeah, you know, there, there are there's matchups to be won there for the Eagles, and you know, for all the the reasons I stated with the talent and the depth and the waves that they come at you with, I think that will be the the biggest matchup in this football game. Um, well, let me put you are as I said, you are a guy who does a lot of deep dives into the drafts. The the draft is your is your world. Uh, Sam Howell, it's been a couple of years, but I imagine you, you recall where you were at. You know, obviously, again, last week was a pretty hideous performance, but he's shown some good things. And it's been an inter- interesting journey the last several months as they've been planning essentially for him to start despite one career NFL start, or despite being a fifth round pick. Uh, you know, typically that's a, a, a not the path to say, go ahead, you, you be the starter, but they've gone down that route. What was your view of him coming out of the draft? And to whatever degree you've seen him this year, what's your view of of what you have seen? Well, I would say, you know, based off of what I saw the first two weeks, and, you know, look, last week was bad, right? So I'm going to go off the first two weeks. Um, 
I was pretty impressed. Like, and I, I would say like surpassed expectations, especially considering the small sample size for him as a starter coming in. And honestly, like I get what they saw. Like I thought it was, it was interesting that they went in and were like, yeah, like so dead set, like, Hey, like Sam Howell, he's going to be the guy. I thought at some point, like, Oh, it might be Jacoby Brissett's show. Is that more of a competition that they're letting on? Uh, and I was following that throughout the summer. Um, but seeing him play the first two games, like I get it. I get what they were so excited about with him. Um, you see a quick release. You see the arm strength. You see the athleticism. You see the, will, the, the toughness in the pocket, which, look, that, that is a little bit of a double-edged sword for him at, that point, at this point right now in his career. It's something that he's going to have to figure out how to like, correctly toe that line and make sure he's on the right side of the ledger of holding the ball too long versus like hanging in in a tough pocket and, and being able to deliver. But even like last week, like – I'm trying to remember who the receiver was. It was either McLaurin or Dotson, but he made that big time throw like down the field, opposite hash, like on an out route. Like it was probably like 17, 18 yards, right? And you're like, yeah, like those are the. And this was late in the fourth quarter. It was garbage time at this point. It might have been the field goal drive. Um, it was like, yeah, like that's what this kid is capable of. He saw it numerous times over the, the course of the the Arizona game and the, and the Denver game. So it's there. Um, you know, when, when I watched him in college. A lot of my questions all had to do with like uh, the pre-throw issues, right? Like, so it was like him understanding, you know, just coming from the offense that he came out of. Um, he was more of a like a see it thrower. He was not an anticipation thrower, and that's something that has stood out. Like, I, I, you know, he is not throwing with anticipation right now, and that's why he's kind of like hanging in and like taking those throws. The ball, the balls just got to come out a little bit sooner. I appreciate the toughness. Like, I, I love that quality about him, but he's just gonna have. It's like a an athletic quarter back that gets out of the pocket and doesn't know when to slide or step out of bounds like you, you got to keep yourself from uh you know taking those shots you have to protect yourself uh at those times and I just didn't think he like navigated a muddy pocket all that well and I would say that's the area where I feel like I'm the most wrong about it so far is like I've seen a lot of really good pocket movement from him navigating with bodies around him keeping his eyes downfield uh and now again it's just about like, you know getting that ball out like finding the 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 check down if you don't like that primary read like uh, getting to the next one uh his average depth of target is like right near the bottom of the league so it's not like uh it's everything's downfield 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 but um you know just figure out a way to get that ball out a little bit faster uh, i think that's going to be a priority for him here in the next few weeks yeah i mean we have to keep reminding ourselves here this will only be his exactly and for any young player you're like okay you gotta get you gotta give some some room to grow although he said today hey the scoreboard doesn't care that i'm young The, the eagles won't care that i'm young i have to do um, I have to do better. Um, so we'll see about that. La- last last question. You know, by the way, I should just say I did Fran's podcast earlier, and Fran is very nice to his guest. He tells you the question. <laughs> <laughs> here, here's what we're going to talk about. Do you have a prep? I just winging this, and I'm not doing winging one here, but I know we can handle it because again, he's a draft guy. The, the, the most interesting matchup to me this game is not really interesting from a Commanders Eagles perspective. Okay, I'm calling it the skin the skinny matchup. Mm. Devontae Smith and Emmanuel Forbes. They are two of the players at their respective positions who sort of broke the mold when it came to how we evaluate these players. They're way light, uh, you know, small for what they do. I think it's a bigger issue potentially for Forbes as a cornerback because he's going to have to tackle where Smith can run away from, from from people. And I don't know. We'll see how much they actually face off. They did in college as well. But as a as a as a process, as a draft analyst, what do you kind of make of the fact that you have these two guys? And Smith has obviously already had a great start to his career. What do you kind of make of where they are, but also just the fact that they are on the very end of the spectrum when it comes to size and have made it, you know, are being viewed as you know, pretty good. 
And that's the thing is that, you know, you talk with different coaches and different evaluators and you start talking about like size profiles and there are teams that have like limitations and benchmarks that they're going to put on every single position and what you're looking for, not just from like a weight standpoint, but arm length and wingspan and hand size and knee circumference and all, all that stuff, right? Like all that stuff shows up, um, you know, and the the famous line is like, hey, if you uh, if you make an example of one outlier, you take one outlier, suddenly you've got a room full of outliers. Uh, and Devontae Smith and Forbes, right, Emmanuel Forbes, are both outliers from a weight standpoint. There are a bunch of examples of that in this past class. Uh, we just saw Devin A. Chain down in Miami. He was uh, he was one of those guys, right? Like he was uh, 175 pounds, 185 pounds as a running back. That's extremely light. To me, the big thing is you know watching the film. Is that ever an issue? Like, am I ever watching this guy? And Devontae Smith is a, is a good example of this for me where I had doubt, I had some doubt, right? Where it was like you're watching, you're like, all right, like at 180 pounds or whatever, I'm trying to remember what he was listed at when he came out in 2020. Um, yes, he's, he is playing well at Alabama, obviously. He wins the Heisman Trophy. But what's going to happen going up against NFL body types week in, week out? And yeah, yes, he was doing it at the highest level at the SEC, but, you know, and you're and you're watching him and he's like yeah like look at him play through contact look at the competitiveness look at you're like yeah like it's there like you you see him do it is that going to carry over like i don't know like and it did, and ultimately it didn't like hurt him too much in terms of like my evaluation i was still pretty high on Devontae smith but that 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 little uh, like the little critter of doubt like is still there like crawling around in the back of your mind and uh to me like that is the big thing is like with all of those things whether it's quarterback hand size, you know, offensive tackle arm length, uh, you know, all of these things. It's not an issue until it's an issue. So if you're watching film and like that, that starts, you know, the quarterback is struggling to hold on to the football or he's struggling to control the ball when he's got to drive it or the, the offensive tackle is letting defensive linemen into his chest. Like, and you're saying like, oh, like that's an issue. Well, all right. Well, yeah, he's got the, the short arms. Like that's going to be an issue then for him moving forward. If he's playing and he knows how to mitigate that and that's not an issue for him or if he's a, a wide receiver who just – look, this guy just plays – his play strength is outstanding. He plays bigger than he is. He's got that mentality, the, the dog mentality, as they talk about here in Philadelphia so often. Uh, if he's got that – in the NFL, like he might have that too. He might, that, that might carry over with him. And so, um, you know, I think that's the way I'm starting to look at it. Uh, I would agree with you that it's a little bit of a bigger deal at, uh, at corner than it is at receiver. Um, you know, and that, cause especially because there were times watching Forbes, like as a tackler that, that did show up uh, and it's has shown up so far. Like, he's got at least one missed tackle. I think, I think he might have two or three um, so far through a couple games. But uh, I think when you look at Forbes, uh, that is going to be the big question here, moving th- forward through the rest of his career. Yeah, no, it's it's going to be interesting to see. And in this sort of money ball era of sports where, at least based on the movie, I think. Yeah, yeah. At least based on the movie, like the idea of the people get uh, devalued in, in, for all variety of reasons. Yep. Size, but to clearly be one of them. And these guys are probably not getting picked where they were picked 10 years ago or so. But we're looking at all the all the traits and the competitiveness and other things. And, um, you know, there's reasons to like these guys beyond their weight. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they evolve, and we'll see if they match up uh, this week as they did in college. Uh, Fran, you rock. He is at Eagles XOS on Twitter, and it's the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast for all your Eagles and draft stuff. One, one-stop one shop right here with Fran. Appreciate it, my guy. We'll uh, uh, I'll probably see you up there uh, on uh, Sunday. Hope to. Thanks so much, Ben. Appreciate it.